Okay, very good. So we are continuing on in our in our study of First Corinthians, and it was interesting that we have, um, as as in the past, had some correlations with with what we've been experiencing, whether in our culture or within our fellowship, with the very same thing that we've been studying in the Word of God. Um, and in recently looking at the news or watching the news the other day, I was hearing about this new strain of of coronavirus anybody hear about that anybody else hear about that in the news there's this new everybody's getting all up in ours anybody know what it's called what's that there's a there's a particular there's a particular name for it does anybody know what the name was it's eris have you noticed that that, that have you heard that that that's the new corona strain they're calling it the eris strain um and it means strife and it was at this very same time that we started in 1 Corinthians. And that was the very thing that Paul brought out. He goes, why is there divisions and strife among you? It's the first thing that he calls out. Just to, just to remember where we're going back to. Now, I urge you, brothers, this is chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 10. Now, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree in what you say, that there no, be, be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. This is, this is the bedrock of what he's trying to, to, to get at right there's uh there's there's this strife that is happening among the corinthians and i was i was i was looking at that and i was thinking about this this word strife and that's also used in james this is an interesting thing in james chapter 3 i believe verse 16 for where there is envy and my bible says self ambition but it's actually strife. There is disorder and every evil practice. If you have evil practice within the body of Christ, you're going to find strife. You're going to find division. They don't, they, 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 they always coexist. And then James goes on and he says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from within your passions that wage war within you? It's a heart condition. It's a problem with the heart. And so we, we've gone through chapters 1, 2, 3, and just a little bit of chapter 4 up until this point. And he's, he's talking about, and it's all one continuous thought. Now he's going to go from here in chapter 5 and 6 and so on. He's going to start dealing with individual issues within the church, uh, communion, uh, um, um, uh, sexual sin, uh, uh, gifts and the use of the gifts of the spirit and, and how they're used in the church and, and on and on. And he's going to be go doing these very things. But up until this point, including chapter four, he's talking about the root of all of these issues that are in the church. It's division and strife. Because 
at up until this point, this church in Corinth, they were all taking sides. They were all come up with, coming up with their arguments. Well, I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Cephas, which is P or, or, excuse me, uh, Paul, or other ones that were very proud, saying, "Well, I follow Christ." Right? I don't listen to any of those people. Right? And and he he brought them all up as this this uh, pride and arrogance, and they began to argue with each other. And he's, he's, and he's like, is Christ divided? Did Paul die for your sins, right? Did, did any of these, you are highlighting people and doctrine and teachings that are presented by, the, by these people and you're using them to war against your brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. So he's been dealing with this over and over. And then in last week, we talked about the fact that he says, if, if your foundation is built on anything other than Christ, it's gonna fail. Your foundation has got to be in Christ and in Christ alone. In all these people, Apollo, whether it's Apollos or Paul or Peter, they come along, one waters, right? One plants a seed, the other one waters, but it's the Lord that brings the increase. The servants are nothing. We're just co-laborers with what Christ is doing. Don't, so don't elevate us to a place of, of position, of, of deity where you put your whole understanding and your following behind a person and not Christ himself. This is, this is causing issues and problems. And then he says, after the foundation has been laid that is Christ, be careful how you build your house because the fires are coming. And if your house is built with gold, precious stones, silver, it's gonna withstand the fire. But if it's with wood, hay, and straw, you might not lose your life entirely. You might not completely lose your salvation. You'll, you might be able to, to survive, but with great loss. Great loss and unfruitfulness in how you build. He says, so be careful. Be careful how you build your life on this foundation. First, you have to have the foundation of Christ Jesus, but then you need to build very carefully on top of that. And he goes, me and Apollos and Peter, we're all trying to build into you responsibly. Everybody is, is to be a skilled labor and we're trying to pour into you the things that are, are gonna build you a, a spiritual temple that is godly, where, where sin and the spirit don't reside together. That we're not comfortable with, with God and comfortable with sin. No, they, it's, it's one where they repel each other, right? Where more of the presence of God and the temple is there and it forces us to want to push sin out and get rid of it. Cleanse the temple, just like Jesus went in and cleansed the temple of the money changers, right? Keeping it a holy place. And we finally finish last, uh, uh, the first part of chapter four, when he says, I don't, he goes, I, I'm not aware in uh, four, cha chapter four, verse four, he goes, I'm not conscious of anything against myself. Like, I don't know of any sin in my life. But then he goes on and says this, but I am not justified because of this. He says, just because my conscience is clear and I think I'm in right standing with God, that does not make me in right standing with God. Because I don't judge myself, he judges me. 
And he says, a good and worthy worker will always present themselves that way. So he says this, and now we're picking it up in verse six of chapter four. And I think I'm only gonna go through chapter four. I was gonna continue on, but we need to camp here. And I have to admit to you that this one is a difficult one for me. And I forgive me if I get a little emotional at times as we, as we go through this one. Because as a leader, as a pastor, as one who is instructing and pouring into to a group of people, I feel some of this. And, and so I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about that with you transparently this morning. In verse six, he says, now brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of this saying, nothing beyond what is written. Now, what he's referring to is what he just said in verse four. I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. Okay, so he's, what he's doing, and, he, and, he, and then he, let me continue on what he says. So, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then God will come to each one, excuse me, then praise will come to each one from God. So understand that we are all in a process and it's God that comes and reveals truth and righteousness in our lives. And he's the one that comes and he reveals sinfulness in our lives. So don't judge yourself prematurely. Don't think that you're okay, right? Always continuously be submitting yourself before the judgment seat of God and say, Lord, if there's any evil way, just like the psalmist said, if there's any wicked way within me, reveal it. If you think you're okay, if you say, hey, yeah, I'm good. That was the problem of what the Corinthians said. They thought they had it all figured out because I follow Apollos or I follow Peter. Or I follow, right? I've got it all figured out. I've got it all mentally recorded. This is all I need to know. I'm good. And you're not, by the way, because you don't think like I do. And that was the source of judgment. And what, what he's beginning to, to drill down on here, what, what, what uh, Paul's trying to drill down on here, he goes, you guys are so weak and, and, and immature in that thinking because you're passing judgment on yourself and you don't have that right. In fact, you remember what he said before this a little bit early, earlier? He says, I wanted to give you meat, but I can only give you milk because you're still acting so worldly. You're still acting like babies. These are the things that he's saying. These are very difficult, hard words that he's passing to, to, to the Corinthians. So he says these things. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, right? He's applied the, this, this rigor about allowing God to judge them so that they're in right standing so that they're able to instruct appropriately. Nothing beyond what is written. That's what is written, the word of God, right? It's his written judgment against us. It's his word. Everything that we do, everything that we say has got to go up against what is written in God's word. If we say anything contrary to it, it's not of God. It's of us, right? The Bereans, I've talked about this before. The, 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 the Bereans, when they received the word from Paul, they searched the scriptures to what to see if what paul was saying was 
True. They didn't just trust him. They went and they were never criticized for that. They were never criticized for that. Paul never criticizes them for searching the scriptures. Verse, uh, continuing in verse uh, six, he says, the purpose is that none of you be arrogant, favoring one person over another. Think about that for a second. The purpose of this, the purpose of the foundation and the root in Christ and allowing God to judge us and God to set the standards of righteousness of our lives and for us not to think that we got a good beat on things, we, we, we judge ourselves and say, yep, I know enough of the word, I'm living to that word, I'm good, God's good with me. The reason that that's bad is because it brings in arrogance and it brings in pride at its root. The purpose is that none of you become arrogant, favoring one person over another. Whether it's yourself, whether it's a teacher, whether it's somebody that sides with how you think. Do you see how divisive this can become? Well, Debbie, you think a lot like me, so I'm going to give you favor. Oh, Tom, <laughs> he doesn't think like we do. He doesn't think like we do. So, you know, he's, he's not as spiritual as we are. Right? Or, you know, Lauren, you, you and I, we share a similar gifting here, right? Yeah, we're, we're more evangelistic or we're more teaching or we're more this, right? Those prophet people or those teacher people or, you know, uh, pastor people, yeah, they're not, the, they're not like us. Do you see how we can begun, be, start to get divisive? Because we, we, we just, we see such a limited view and we start taking sides and allowing divisions to come in and the enemy jumps on the opportunity to pit us against one another. So Paul's going after this thing and he says, I don't want you to be arrogant, favoring one person over the other. And then he says, now he, what he does is he starts to go into this really sarcastic rant. I mean, I'm going to read it, this rant in its entirety. And listen to his language here. Because at this point, and you'll see this in a lot in Paul's writings, he'll write for a while and then he'll get himself like really spun up about something. And he goes into like this explosive thing and then he brings it to a close and then he, he changes the subject, right? So he's going into, he's getting really excited as he's, as he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's just trigger, triggering something in him. And he goes on and he starts saying this, for who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full. Mine says an exclamation point there. There's a bunch of exclamation points, right? He says, you're already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could come and reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place. Like men condemned to die, we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. And we are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We're weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. 
Up to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. That's quite a rant. But understand that he's had, this is, we're into deep into the fourth chapter of this continuous thought. And he's had it. He's had it with their pride and their arrogance. He's had it with them thinking that, well, yeah, Paul came through, Apollos came through, and yep, we all got it now. We all start knowing better than everyone, knowing better than our teachers, knowing better than those who instructed us, right? He could tell that it's almost like, what, what's, what's the definition of a sophomore, right? You have, you have freshman, you have sophomore, junior, senior. I once heard it described that sophomore means wise fool. It's having enough knowledge, you know, you're no longer a freshman, right? You've gained some knowledge and you think you know it all, but you don't really know anything because you're only a freshman. There's more to be learned, right? I've, I've done that where I like, I, I'm, a lot of people have called me a jack of all trades. I've called myself a jack of all trades and master of none. I get in there and I, and I learn enough. I'm like, oh, I got this. And then I move on to something else. Yeah, I can do that. No, I can't. Not well. Maybe enough to make conversation with somebody that knows how to do it. But that's all. I haven't mastered anything, have I? So these, these are very sophomoric type people who says, oh, I've, I've, uh, we've gained all this knowledge. I know what's going on. We don't really need you anymore, Paul. We don't need your teachings. We've, we've got a good handle on this. And he goes, you guys are already rich and full, aren't you? That's the problem with pride. That's the problem with division. That's the problem with arrogance is it, it blinds you. You can't see it. The one who is arrogant rarely would ever admit that they're, or see that they're arrogant. The one who's full of pride and boasting almost never sees it. But I guarantee you this, everybody around him sees it. We become completely blind to our own sin in certain instances. And Paul's coming in here to correct them. I mean, what do you give a people who already claim to have it all? We have all of Jesus, so what more can I give? Right? Pick up here at verse 11. Up to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about himself. He's talking about those who are traveling with him. Timothy, who was son in the Lord, right? And some of the others that have been giving themselves so much. He goes, up until this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. Now, this is the part that gets very, very real to me. When you're in the ministry, okay, and I'm not talking about you have an ordination certificate on your wall, which I have. But if you're in the ministry at all, you're going to be able to relate to this, this part here. You're going to relate to what he's feeling because even though he's on this, this rant, 
that that comes across very sarcastic it's rooted in a deep truth that he feels that you live all the time all the time if you lead in any capacity in the body of Christ leading others in any capacity you're going to feel this at some point in your at your your tenure with the, with with that position you're going to feel this in your walk with Christ if you care if you care about the people and you care about God and you care about moving forward and the people moving forward you will feel what he's about ready to explain here first of all you're all now you may not be physically hungry and physically thirsty but spiritually you'll feel that way you may not feel like you might have money and are you know don't aren't poorly clothed but you're going to feel roughly treated you're going to feel roughly treated you're going to feel like you might not you might have a physical home but you almost lose yourself you lose your home in a way because people invade it all the time your home no is no longer your safe space you may not be homeless but it's no longer your safe space because you're ministering to people all the time people are bringing their problems into your safe space that happens we in verse 12, we labor working with our own hands. I feel that one because I have a full-time job. I don't, I don't take any money from Waylife. That one's a personal one for me. So I have to work with my own hands. So I have stress of work and stress of those types of things. And on top of that, my, where my real passions lie is in the body of Christ moving forward. But that takes a lot of time. And, and a leader has that same conflict. Because you have your own life to deal with. You might have a job. You might work. You might not work where you're getting paid for it. But you at least work in the home. You always maybe have children. And you've got to tend for them. Right? You have the dealings of your own life as you're trying to move other people forward. And so this is, these are the kinds of things that he's calling out here. We labor working with our own hands. Then he says, then he gets into this one. We're reviled. What's the word reviled mean? Anybody? Bad mouth. Yes. Yes. Right? Hated. People speaking ill against you. He says, we're reviled. We have people that speak against us. And in this instance, it was coming a lot from the, ch the church in Corinth. A lot of it. Because people were speaking out against him against leadership, against Paul. He says, we're reviled, but we bless. See, we don't come back with reviling. That would be wrong. That would not to be Christ-like. That would be, that would be to, to, to sink to the same level. So people, you know, what did Jesus say? Bless those who what? Persecute you or ill-treat you. When the people come against you that are, and, and treat you roughly, you don't respond in kind, especially leaders especially leaders. Because we're reviled, but we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. That's a tough one. Endurance is a really hard thing. If you're in any kind of leadership, if you're, if you're moving people forward, there's times where you're just plain tired. You're tired. You're tired of your own dealings, and you're, you're tired of... And I'm, I'm being transparent with you this morning. Is that okay? 
You're, you're tired of dealing with your own things and everybody else's things. Now, you can feel that sometimes even, you don't even have to be in the ministry, you can feel that in the workplace, right? I'm trying to get my own projects done and people keep coming at me, oh, I need this, I need that. Especially if you're a manager, you can understand what that's like. Because you're not, you, you've got your own set of problems, but you got other people coming at you. It takes endurance. It takes endurance not to snap back at people, to continue on and to find the strength to, to press forward. Verse 13, when we are slandered, we respond graciously. That's a hard one. Somebody says something bad about you, you want to say something back. But a leader doesn't do that. One who cares about the people that are pouring into doesn't do that. Now, it doesn't mean that, that you're infallible. And there's some times where you say things and do things where you just, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And so what? And then you're going and you're asking for apology and, you know, asking for forgiveness and, and giving them your apology and all of those things. And, and you're, you're make, trying to make things right. But you have to be gracious. You have to be gracious when people are coming against you and slandering. Even now, we're like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. And I'm telling you what, he may have been a, a bit sarcastic in what he was saying there, but those sometimes feel real. Am I telling the truth? Sometimes you just feel not like you don't have any value. Why? Because when you give people your best all the time, and it doesn't live up to their expectations. And they, they treat it as a little thing. You feel kind of garbage. You kind of feel... So I can understand why he went on this rant. Because he, people don't see the sacrifice. They don't see the persecution he's suffering. They don't see get they don't they don't receive the, see the letters that they receive or the text messages if we can put it in today's technology. They don't see the technology, you know, the, the text messages or the emails or the phone calls. Right? They don't see that stuff come in. Now Paul was getting that with words that you know reports back from Timothy letters that were coming in and he goes don't these people see that I've been killing myself I've been sacrificing everything to pour into them and that's what they're giving me back because they know so much they know so much now I say all this not as a, an accusation to anybody but I do say it for us to be aware and I've been on the other side of it and I have ill-treated the people leading above me. I have misvalued, um, undervalued is a better word. I've undervalued them and the sacrifices because they didn't know. Because most of the sacrifices that they made, they went unseen. They went unseen. 90%, I would say, correct me if you see, I would say 90% of the ministry goes completely unseen. At least 90%, probably more. It goes unseen. And that 90% is where all the problems happen. And if a leader is really walking in integrity and they're doing the right things, people won't see it. They won't see it. They'll silently endure those things. They'll, 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 they'll work through. Why? Because we don't want to cause divisions, any further divisions. 
at all in the body of Christ. This is what he was dealing with here. And he wanted him, he wanted to come at him hard. And so I guess I, I, I'm, it's been my desire, it's been our desire at Waylife not to have, you know, have a couple clergy lay, uh, you know, type people and a bunch of laity. No, we're pouring into leaders. We want to see multiplication happen. We want disciples making disciples making disciples. And when you do that, you're going to experience exactly what he's talking about here. If you're doing your job right, you're going to feel this. You're going to. If you're not pouring into anyone else, if you're not trying to push everyone forward and your relationship with, with God is yours alone, then you might not see this. You might not experience these things. But that's not what's supposed, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be discipling, making other disciples, discipling them and getting them moving forward in their relationship with Jesus. It's really important that we understand this. Leaders have to work really hard to be good leaders, but so do followers. Followers have to work really hard to be good followers. We, we know that everything tends to fall, rise and fall on leadership. That's actually only half true. That is true, but it also rises and falls on followers. We can be, work hard, we all expect well, that's a, he's a good leader. She's a good leader. Oh, that person's not a good leader. The question is, are we good followers? Are we good students? Just things for us to be thinking about today. Now, he, he doesn't leave it here with them. He goes on, right? He goes on and he goes in verse 14. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you. It's really important. Some of the hardest things that we need to say isn't because, you know, to people, if you really love a person and you say really hard things, it's not to hurt them. It's because you love them, right? He goes, I, I'm not writing this to, to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Now we're getting to the heart of it. My dear children. Verse 15, for you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. Matthew, you're in what, what grade are you in now? I'm going to eighth. You're going to eighth grade. How many teachers have you had in your life so far up until eighth grade? Um, a lot. A lot. And you're going to have a lot more. Mm -hmm. And then if you go to college, you're going to have a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. How many fathers do you have? One. Hmm. How many mothers do you have? One. One. Would you take the sum of all of those teachers that you've had and that you will have, and will you ever value them the same way that you value your mom and your dad? Mm -mm. No. Why? Because they're nowhere close to. They're nowhere. It's not even the same classification, mm -hmm. is it? You might have a relationship with them. You might receive a lot of information. Your, your teachers teach you, right? And they teach you good things, right? Yeah. And your mom and dad teach you things too. But it's different, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Why is it different? Because they actually take care of you. You're the ones 
to have um, been with you since you have grown up. Oh, man, I could not have said that any better. They're the ones that really take care of you and they've been with you as you've grown up. And you know what? Even in eighth grade, you can see that mom and dad have made a lot of sacrifices for you. But I'll tell you this, most of the sacrifices that mom and dad have made, you're not even aware of. You're not aware of. Now, if, if you're a father or you're a mother, or you've had a good father or a good mother, you understand that there is a deep sacrifice that comes. And a father and mother will sacrifice, a good father and mother, there are not so good ones out there, I get that. But a good, godly father or mother will sacrifice themselves to, to, to suffer in ways that are almost, it's almost inconceivable, the sacrifices, whether it's financial, their time, their emotion, their sleep, their energy. They will go to absolute incredible lengths for the children that they love. And most of that sacrifice goes unseen. Paul was, an, was not an instructor to the Corinthians. He was a father. And it's, it's not just because he was naming himself and says, well, I'm your father. You need to listen to me. You know that. We've all heard that. Why do I have to do that? Why? We don't, why? Because I'm your dad and I told you to do it. Now, sometimes we need to be told that. I think we need to bring that back because that's respect for mom and dad. Well, mom, mom, why do I have to do that? Because I'm your mother. And that's why. That's not a bad answer. I'm sorry. We got to bring that back. You know, we were, we were sold a bill of goods and, you know, starting in the 80s and into the 90s of like, oh, be respectful. They need to understand. No, they don't. They don't understand that you're the dad or you're the mom. That's the problem that we have today and that they're the child. Now, there are, is room as they get older for more understanding, but when they don't have the capacity to understand, because I'm your mother, because I'm your father, is a, an acceptable answer. Okay? This is where Paul was. He goes, I'm your father here. And that's why I'm telling you this. I need to see you grow up. And I'm caring for you to see you grow up. And I will sacrifice. I have been killing myself. Again, with, the, with some of the imagery that he, he paints and the sarcasm. But I've been, I've been sacrificing in ways that you cannot see. And you know, we've all seen it, right? We've all been it, right? Have you, when you're 16 years old, your parents don't know a thing. They're so stupid. I mean, come on. Mom and dad don't understand. And then when you get to be 18, for some people, they might know a little bit. You know, you get off to college and you, you move or you start, you know, planning on starting to move out of the house and you need to have like money for a car or insurance. And like, oh, I guess they know a little thing, but they don't really know that much. And then when they, you get into your, you know, maybe lo lower 20s, mid 20s, it's amazing how smart they get. Have you ever noticed mom and dad suddenly gets really smart? Why? Because you're growing up and finally you don't have an infant's perspective anymore. You have this broad perspective of life. And then you get in, you know, you get into your 30s, you get, you know, you, you become a, a legitimate adult 
with some experience, you're like, wow, I cannot believe. I cannot believe the way I treated my parents when I was younger. The way I disrespected them. I thought I knew so much. Now I realize how much I didn't know. This was the very problem that Paul was having because they knew so much. We, Lord, forbid us, prevent us from ever knowing so much. Forever being the ones where we become emboldened with arrogance and pride and short-sightedness that we are no longer teachable and we are no longer humble. And the Corinthian church was full of that. And so he was coming to his kids in the Lord. And they truly were his kids because he's the one that established a church. Others came in, Apollos and, and Peter, and others came in to help build. And they were teaching good truth. But they were in and then they were gone. But Paul remained their father. Paul stayed with them in the spirit. Continued to labor. I don't know if Apollos, I don't know if Peter labored to the level of Paul did. I can't make that speculation. The Bible doesn't say. But we can know this. Paul labored. Continued to labor and wept over them. I could imagine when he got reports from Timothy or others and say, you know, because we'll get into the next one. He says there is massive sexual immorality in the church and you guys are tolerating it. When he receives these reports, can you imagine? He goes, oh, I taught them better than that. That is not the Christ that I have given them. I've got to reach out to them because I don't want their, their mantle to be removed. I don't want them to be judged for this. I want to see my children successful to grow up, to become mature, to be self-sufficient, and them to go and to reproduce and to have children of their own. See, that's the way it is in the body of Christ. You're going to have countless instructors, but you're not going to have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through the gospel, not through his own desire, not through his control, but through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, a good father understands this principle. He says this one other time. In, in, to, in this letter, in chapter 11 and verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. See, a true father understands, a good father understands, they need to see me modeling the behavior that, I, that they need to model. A father understands that in order for me to raise my children up, to be strong, mature adults, I have to model what it means to be a good, strong adult. It's not a do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't work. In fact, most fathers teach their children more out of what they do and how they live their lives. Much more than ever what they say. Teachers talk a lot. Fathers model. They live their life. 
They'll instruct. They will teach. There will be those times. But that's not the majority of the lesson. The lesson is what they see their fathers doing. Paul was imitating Christ. And he's our ultimate model. And he wanted to get these people where they looked to Christ and they modeled their lives after Christ. But they were so young. They couldn't do this. They were so far away from from um, their perspectives and good godly perspectives of, of Jesus and their relationship and they were so fraught with sin and so fraught with div- division. He says, all right, guys, at least look to me. Look to me. Imitate me. If you can't figure it out on your own, just do what I do. And in time, they'll begin to understand. In time, they'll begin to model Christ. Verse 17, this is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dear, loved, and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus. There it is. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? He's saying this. He's saying, you might talk a good game. You might say, well, we're in this camp and you guys are in that camp and you might be arguing this and arguing that and all these contentions. He's saying, but they're mere words. And that is not what counts in the kingdom of God. Power counts. Authority counts. Fruitfulness counts. The things that the Spirit produces in our lives, that's what counts. We talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You cannot manufacture the fruit. You cannot tell everybody, I'm a patient person. I'm a patient person. I'm a patient person. And live impatiently. Because it's mere words. The things of God are not of speech, of words. They're of demonstration of power. You cannot say, I'm a loving person. And act unloving to your brother or sister or to anyone else. You cannot say that I have total peace and, and then act, you know, make anxious decisions every time something doesn't go your way. Snap decisions. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is something that other people look at and they judge. Amen. And if you think you got it and other people around you say, I'm not so much. Listen to them. Listen to them. Because you're fooling yourself with arrogant words. You're judging yourself. But that's not justifying you. We live by a different standard. This is what we're being called to. Now from this point on, moving forward from chapter 5 all the way through, he's going to be dealing with some very big things. And the first thing he's going to be dealing with is church discipline. 
church discipline. That's going to be a tough one. We're going to talk about that in two weeks because we're taking a, a week off next week because of our, our picnic. We'll pick that up in two weeks. Church discipline's a tough, tough topic. But what it's all about is accountability. Accountability that as brothers and sisters, we're all growing. When a family grows together and loves together and reaches out together, there's harmony, there's unity, there's joy, there's love, there's peace. But you all know it because you've all had it. If you got a, let's say, a black sheep of the family or two, and we all have them in our families, suddenly things get thrown off balance, don't they? That's what church where church discipline comes in, to try to correct those things, to bring everybody back into this place of unity, of love, and of fruitfulness. And a good father, a good father, as Paul here, is trying to be for the church in Corinth. He's gonna to talk to them, and he's going to say this, I could come in and correct you. I could come in and do the discipline. But the healthiest of church disciplines itself. The other brothers and sisters say, hey, 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 that behavior that you're doing, that's not right. We don't do that here. That's not in our family code. That's not in our culture. You can't do that. That's what we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks here. In the meantime, I leave you with this. I leave you with this. Are you a good follower? Because you all follow somebody. You all follow something. Le at, at, at least of all, at least Christ. I shouldn't say least of all, but at least Christ. But we all follow. If you have a job, if you're part of the congregation, you all follow. Are you a good follower? Focus, are you a good servant? Focus there. The best servants can make the best leaders because they understand what it takes. They understand the leader needs support and help. And if you're leading anything in your life, are you a good leader? Do you look at yourself as being a father who is willing to lay down their lives for their children? Are you willing to sacrifice? Don't be quick, please don't be quick to criticize your leaders. Because until you've walked in their shoes and had the sacrifices that they've sacrificed, it's, it's an unfair judgment in many cases. God's calling us all upwards. And in these last days, he's rooting out sin in the church. All of the church. And we're no exception. Amen. Nor should we be. He's rooting it out. There's a lot of pride, arrogance, and division that needs to be killed. It needs to be stripped out. Not for the sake of hurting. Not for the sake of being right. But the sake of restoration and love and unity of the Spirit just like Paul talked about in the previous chapter. He goes, we have the mind of Christ. Amen. The mind of Christ. But that's not something that we can say in word. Only in power. 
only in demonstration. So I'm asking, will we commit ourselves to being good leaders, loving, caring, sacrificial, gracious, and good fathers, excuse me, as fathers and mothers, but will we be good followers as well? Sacrificial, loving, caring, gracious. Will we emulate Christ in his nature? The only way that happens is if we point to ourselves and not to other people. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for, the, for what you're doing in our hearts. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us your grace and your mercy during this very difficult time of uh, you know, challenging word, words that you're giving us. Lord, these were challenging words, the church in Corinth. And I believe that we in the Church of America have got to take these words that were given to Corinth all those years ago and say these are words for today. Yes, Lord. There's a clash of culture. There's a clash of worldliness and in the spirit. And Lord, we got to choose today who we're going to serve. So Father, I just pray that as we continue in this clash and this, uh, this, we're feeling this tension, I pray, Lord, would you please give us grace, reveal those things that are in darkness in our lives, make, bring them into the light, Lord, so that we may be clean, we may replant, repent. We may not even know they're there, but reveal them, oh God, so that we can cast them, we can throw them down at the foot of the cross, have them covered by the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus, and that we can walk in the newness of life through his resurrection, free, oh God, from these things that so easily entangle us. And we can become the body without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Clean before you, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.